0: Today on Gigdeming Powers. It was called uh, Kaliman, mm-hmm. and it was actually based on Kalima. The, the name comes from Kalima, the, the, the Hindu goddess. But Kaliman is this person, this like mystic. And he, um, he talks about how if you control your mind, you control everything. And he would have these adventures that were bonkers. Like, I'm actually collecting right now, I'm going through the collecting of one that had a huge impact on me when I was little, where he is, in, he is in Rio de Janeiro doing carnival. He's meeting a friend of his, and he is attacked by these two people who uh, have the heads of dogs, and um, grafted onto human bodies. But because it's carnival, no one thinks anything of it. And as a kid, I thought that was so clever. Like, I thought that was such a like clever thing. I couldn't explain it as a kid, but as an adult, I see like, that is such a clever way of like, I'm doing simultaneously exposition, um action and backstory and it goes from there i don't want to say too much here but uh, because i imagine you have a format that you want to stay to but that is something that stayed with me it was such a wild thing like about the idea of like this mad genius who decided to just put dog heads on humans
1: and it goes from there You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is a podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It is these people, it is us, who make up almost all of the geek world by talking to each person, by hearing their stories, power's creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge verse quilt. Today's guest is Melvin Cartagena, a creator of comics from the mainland United States and Puerto Rico. I told you before that since I do take the trouble of saying a Chinese author, a Hungarian comic book publisher, then it's only right that I state where everybody is from, including... From the countries from which you don't state that, like the United States and the UK. So get used to that. <laughs> the US is one part of the world. Medved's creation is unique. And the story of that uniqueness and its origin is what we go over in this episode. Let's listen. So where does Cartagena uh, come from?
0: Cartagena, uh, it's, uh, it's my father's name. And I'm assuming that it's... Um... It's got Spaniard's uh, Spaniard roots, because in Spain, there is a place called Cartagena. Okay. <laughs> so, but I've never bothered to look beyond that. I've never tried the 23andMe or the family tree. So I never looked more specifically beyond that, where that name might come from.
1: You never, it, and no one told you what it means? Like, does it have meaning or something?
0: Um, no, not really. And I, I've never taken an interest in that. But I guess now you got me curious about it. Maybe I should look into it. <laughs>
1: Names usually have, uh, you know, strange uh, background. Um, Like I found out, for example, that um, there was a period for uh, Jews in, I think in Spain, but maybe it's overall in Europe, where it was forbidden to have Jewish names, like Jewish last names. So they chose names that are names of food, uh, like, you know, apple bough means uh, uh, tree, apple tree. And, you know, oh. lots of Jewish names are basic, and that's how they recognize each other because they all chose kind of food names. And I never knew that. That was okay. an interesting tidbit of, uh, you know. That is fascinating
0: because it's a little bit like espionage, like you came up with a name that, you know, hid the Jewish, uh, your Jewish identity, but at the same time meant something to other, other Jewish uh, people hiding their names. So that's actually really cool. And I'm a big fan of espionage. I'm fascinated by espionage. That is probably as old as prostitution, if not older.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, secrets, lies. <laughs> nice. You know, we start with three. You no, know, I didn't do that. That's not me. Ah, <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, okay, what's your origin story? My origin story. Let me see. Okay, so I was
0: born in New York. I was raised in Puerto Rico. And I guess that gave me an insight in, into two, not a, two cultures, but also two forms of entertainment. I guess there's the stuff coming from Hollywood, you know, like the stuff that is made that is very slick, very clean, and very safe. And there was the stuff coming from uh, other Latin American countries or other countries from around the world that didn't have the same production values, but was insane was crazy more dangerous more violent it had more it had an edge to it that stayed in my mind more
1: and that's what movies, do, you, do you remember specific, movies. do you remember specific things movies books
0: um movies. i remember certain comic books that came from mexico actually and in fact very recently it's interesting how this works but uh, i'm thinking about this comic book i'm thinking about this comic book that i read when i was a kid and I do a search on eBay and it starts popping up. And now that I'm thinking about it a lot, I'm suddenly seeing it on, on uh, Twitter, which is my favorite platform. That's where I found you, by the way. Also mm-hmm. On Twitter is where I found and Powers. And it's interesting how when, you know, this thing is now very much in your mind, it starts showing up everywhere. You know, I, there had, there's a name for that. I can't remember what is that called now, but yeah, like I said, a comic book. There's a comic book in particular that I'm running through it in my mind now as an adult. Lucha? And movies? I can sort of see the wheels turning. I'm sorry?
1: Lucha? Uh, something called Lucha Comics. Is that it? No.
0: No, this was called actually, it was called uh, Kaliman. Okay. And it was actually based on Kalima. The, the name comes from Kalima, the, the, the Hindu goddess. But Kaliman is this person, this like myth, mystic. And he, um, he talks about how if you control your mind, you control everything. And he would have these adventures that were bonkers like i'm actually collecting right now i'm going through the collecting of one that had a huge impact on me when i was little where he is in he's in rio de janeiro doing carnival he's meeting a friend of his and he is attacked by these two people who uh, have the heads of dogs and um grafted onto human bodies but because it's carnival no one thinks anything of it and as a kid i thought that was so clever like i thought that was such a like clever thing i couldn't explain it as a kid but as an adult i see like That is such a clever way of like, I'm doing simultaneously exposition, um, action and backstory. And it goes from there. I don't want to say too much here, but um, because I imagine you have a format that you want to stay to, but that is something that stayed with me. It was such a wild thing, like about the idea of like this mad genius who decided to just put dog heads on humans. And it goes from there. And this comic, this person, this Caliman, he goes on a number of adventures. And he goes to Europe, for example. He stays in London to see a friend of his. And this leads to this whole thing about a empire living on the British countryside in a castle. And uh, I, I guess in, for now, we, we live in a small world, like social media, like you and me. We would have probably never connected with each other in the days of analog, unless we were on forums or something. But it's very easy to connect now. But as a kid, when to me the world felt like a massive there was something so exciting about that. The idea of um going to this country that felt like another planet to me and that there is this vampire, this creature from some other place going over into this kind of like idyllic setting. It just, these juxtapositions, the these connections of things that just set the mind running, just set my imagination like on fire. So there's that comic book. Then there's movies also that came from other countries. And um. And then there's horror novels too, like horror novels by people like um, Ramsey Campbell, Richard Matheson, just stuff that wasn't safe, I guess is the best way I can say it. It wasn't predictable. It's just like, wow, like I did not see that coming. Even though on some level superficially, it had a lot of the same things. Like it, it kind of lulled you into safety because it had things you've seen before in Hollywood that it went places that Hollywood would, never would because they have this specific audience that they have to cater to. So that got me um, into the, uh, not so much um, at the time, but uh, later on as an adult, I see that there were these two seas of entertainment, these two worlds of entertainment, and they sort of touch each other at the edges, but they never completely cross into each other. And I was very fascinated with that, with the idea of these two things existing independent from each other, yet influencing each other at the same time.
1: Interesting. So how, how did that influence, like, did you sink into into that world or what happened
0: uh let me see uh no i i guess i sort of i didn't so much sink into it i I sort of just let it guide me to it like i would just simply i guess i'm not being very clear but um i would watch one say one movie and i would say okay who who is in this like i started paying more attention to the names like as a kid, everything seems like it's something that's being made up. It's something that is just there. And I started kind of noticing that, noticing, like, the names. And I started seeing names that repeat. For example, actors. Usually, Typically, our first experience with that is actors. You start developing a liking for a particular actor, others you don't particularly care for. But then I went a step beyond that, which is directors, writers, some um, artists. And then from there, the connection of um, ideas or themes, like, Okay, so this particular director, I see this particular theme or thing repeating itself a lot in movies. Or this director does things in a way where it's very um, bloody, it's very violent. And this other director kind of makes you uneasy, but in a different way. This other director does something in editing that just gives you anxiety. You don't even know what it is, but you feel the anxiety versus someone who's more... Direct, let's say, someone who you just uses blunt instruments and, you know, like a Jason or or like a, a slasher type of movie versus people who are, use editing, use sound, use performance and do something that is more subtle. You don't know why, but you're uneasy, you're unanxious, you're on edge. And I started gravitating towards those because to me, that's harder to do. To me, that is there is more artistry, skill and challenge involved in doing something and making people uneasy or Um, how would I say, um, sneaking ideas past them. Like you're giving them entertainment and you don't notice that you probably had some interesting ideas sent to you, but they have, it's just that they are able to blend the idea with the entertainment in such a clever way that you don't notice
1: it. Do you want to convince people of your idea or do you just want to plant the idea and not not convince? Um, I
0: think I want to do more, introduce the idea. Like, um, like it's an unfinished thing and someone else will pick this up and maybe add to it or will take that same idea but run in a different direction. So more introducing and just seeing the effect that it has on people. Some people may not get it at all but some people it's like a permanent thing it stays in their minds for a very long time. So it's very fascinating to see that how how that uh, affects people you know and the influence the impact that it has on people. How some people just nothing and some people they center their world around that idea. They start building their entire lives around that idea.
1: Yeah, let's skip ahead for a second. Like when you write, like you write now, and do you notice that this happens to uh, to people that read your stuff? Do you notice that they start living around that the way you did? Uh yes, um, in a distance, sort way,
0: not so much specifically with what I write, but more in in their lifestyle, like, like, for example, people who may be um, really big fans of horror, for example, like, they start building the lives around horror. Like, they will not, they almost watch no, they almost consume no entertainment beyond horror. Mm-hmm. And they start cons- um, collecting artifacts, too. They, they go to the point where they start collecting, if they have the means, the, the financial means, mm-hmm. they start collecting items from movies like props that were in actual horror movies that they find it on ebay or they find it someplace and they actually buy it to own it because the movie made such an impact on them and they want to own that particular or one part of the movie that had such an impact on them specifically with me more it's um in in groups like I, let's say i i wrote a short story i'll share it with a bunch of people and then they'll tell me look, what that did on what how it felt to them like i'm um, how they've been thinking about this particular thing in the the story all week long, or how much they actually, it impacted them to the point where they actually would like to write a story of their own with the same idea. And this is someone who maybe had no interest in writing fiction. So that's actually kind of interesting, that it sort of did something in their mind where now they actually want to try something that they had no interest in, or maybe they felt they couldn't
1: do it. Interesting. So. Let's go back now. So, how did how did you start creating stuff? This was you, the fan, just learning and uh, right, getting things.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I cannot remember exactly when, but I guess the pressure was always there. Like, um, when I would come across a movie or a short story or a novel that just had that impact on me, I'm like, I want to do this to someone. I want to have the same impact to someone. And I think maybe. I want to say like nine years ago or so I wrote a short story. It took me forever to write it. It took me like weeks and weeks because I would start, I would bog down, I would start again, but then suddenly it wasn't the same. So that I almost almost started from the beginning again up to the present. It took forever to write it. And when it was done, uh, it felt great. It felt very satisfying. When I had people read it, they were not, you know, they were not blown away by it. But at that point, there was more like a personal milestone, like a personal goal. The fact that I actually did it like i can write a narrative i can write a story the impact came along a little later when i started um studying more uh stuff i guess studying breaking down the uh, the story like okay i would pick a story that had a really powerful impact on me and then i would be um okay why did this have this impact on me so i'm gonna read it again more carefully like i i have this idea where um when you create something, first you're a student, and uh, no, fr- sorry, first you're a fan, then you're a student. At first, you just admired it um, as, an inter- as entertainment. Then you're a student. You start breaking it down. You start sort of analyzing what is it that makes it so effective so you can reproduce that. So, um, two people that I rep- uh, studied a lot were Harlan Ellison and Ray Bradford. I marveled at how they wrote, like their imagination, the sheer unbound imagination. That was something that I I envied. I wanted to be able to think that way. I wanted to be able to think that way and be able to put that on paper. So I became obsessed with studying those two. And eventually I wrote a new story that kind of took what I did on the previous one a little bit further. And then it kept going from there. And at some point, I kind of dropped Ray Bradbury. Not so much as a writer. I still love Ray Bradbury. But I decided that his style was not for me. Like I started learning things about myself, about language about how you use words and the impact that uh, that they have on someone or your relationship to your you know to your own language the words that you use and I decided that Ray Bradbury's style was not for me whereas Harlan Ellison was a style that I felt that I could somewhat take something from it and adjust into my own so I kind of drop rap Ray Bradbury as a as a student of fiction And then I just started picking up other people. So, for example, Richard Matheson is someone that I studied extensively. Uh, Philip K. Dick is someone that I studied a lot when I started. um, At first, I wrote like little shocker stories, I would say, like something with a kind of setup and like a little punchline, but the punchline could be hard. And then when I started getting into the idea of writing something more sustained than a short story, I started um, somehow, I cannot remember how, but I wound up going to Philip K. Dick And there was something there that I couldn't penetrate at first. It was something I couldn't break it down, but I could consume it. And something that he consumed, uh, something about the way uh, his themes and ideas spoke to me. It was too dense. As a teenager, it was too dense for me to break it down. But there was was something that kept calling me back. It kept bringing me back to it. Whereas other people, other writers, that density was there. I didn't feel compelled to try to penetrate that density, that verbal density, and try to understand it. Out. But Philip K. Dick it kept calling me back. Even if I could not understand it, even if I could not break down one made it work, there was that compulsion to come back again, come back to it. Reading, say, for example, a Duandro dream of Electra sheep over and over and over, reading. Um, uh, Ubik over and over and over. in particular Ubik, mm-hmm. that is a fantastic book. So there was always something there that kept pulling me back and in time eventually, I started to sort of penetrate that verbal density a little more and simultaneously the writing started getting better, meaning that I started kind of um, I started understanding what it was that I wanted to do, what it was that I was trying to accomplish with writing with my own writing.
1: Let, let me stop you there before we get to what you want to accomplish. Uh uh I, I have a couple of questions. Uh by the way, do you know Alfred Bester? Well, yes, yes, actually I do.
0: I've read actually The Stars My Destination and Um The demolished which are fantastic
1: works. And it sounds like it's, fictional world It sounds like it's uh Apioari, yeah. Um yes definitely, yes. Yeah. So it's a pretty mind blowing the, the the short story, uh Total Rico. The short story that started Total recall it's like, I think one page, two pages by Philip K. It's Dickinson. very
0: short, it's a very
1: short little, little it's story. It's super dense. It is super surprising, it has tons of twists. And uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm with you. So you found your own uh, destiny now. Um,
0: I guess, yeah, I mean, um, he was, he still is. I think on some level, he will always be. But then I also discovered some William Gibson. And that also took me in a different direction. Like, I guess you could say that William Gibson, even though the, a lot of the things and ideas are the same, William Gibson has a coherence that Philip K. Dick doesn't have. And I think now that there's a lot of studies on Philip K. Dick, now we know that there was just like a whirlwind of activity going on in, in his personal life and yeah. turmoil and like relationships and all that. Whereas William Gibson is a more coherent guy. I think he has his mind straight. His, his personal affairs are in order. So he's able to write in a straight line. No, well, Philip K. K. Dick, K. Was Dick was crazy. Like no, no, he was
1: crazy. It wasn't just. His life. It was <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess he crane. was crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But,
0: <laughs> but it's true. There's a fascination in that madness about.
1: too. Yeah. I'm sorry. Say that again. I I, said, I, I never, never thought about it, but William Gibson does look like, you know, he does remind, uh, you know, he does remind of Philip K. Dick. It's, something about
0: that yeah that's what i mean i i find similarities but i think the difference is just in their in their lifestyles like william gibson has a more orderly lifestyle and he's able to sort of stay coherent and i think also in turn his personal relations like with his publisher his editors whereas philip kd because he was so batshit crazy to put it simply he just his personal relations probably were not the best ones and in turn that affected his income that affected the you know his personal relations, so I think that is the main difference in between the two of them. But I find both of them very fascinating. And um, I lost my train of thought. Can you repeat your question, please? Sorry.
1: Yeah, and oh, you said that after Philip K. For, you know what? Let's take a second again. I remember the one thing I wanted to say to you. Uh, do you know the story about Harlan Ellison? There's so many Harlan Ellison stories, like um. No, I mean the the story where Harlan Ellison met uh, Asimov for the first time you know that one? Oh, yes, yes, where he sort of went up to him and said something like, said, you're I, nothing, or no, you're no, 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 nothing. No. He said, are you Isaac Asimov? He was like a young kid, and Asimov was also like 29 or something, uh, and Helen Ellison was younger than him. And he said, are you Isaac Asimov? And he said, yes, at the convention. Are you the Isaac Asimov? He said, uh, "He said yes, are you the Isaac Asimov that wrote the foundation stories or whatever uh, he published at the time? He said, yes, yes. He was feeling uncomfortable. Uh, And then he said, You suck. Really? That was his first. (laughs) Well, actually, okay. So maybe
0: we this is a discrepancy, I guess, but from what I heard, or at least this is Ellison himself explaining himself about that. He said something like, "Um, You're not so much. But when he explains that in in one of his introductions, he says, Because he read the, the foundation stories. And because the foundation stories are this massive, like multi generational spanning, it's just an amazing thing. It's something that spans millennia, and is so um, so epic, so broad, so massive that to Ellison, he figured that whoever created that had to be like um, this sort of like a a, almost like a like a Howling thousand, you know, like this mat, this person with like a brain of with like a like a Lex Luthor, let's say, or a brainiac or something amazing. And he says, when he goes to the convention and he sees like Asimov with like the sideburns and the little like bow tie and all that, he's like, this can't be the guy who wrote the foundation stories in his mind. And I relate to that because um, reading Johnny Mnemonic for the first time had the same impact. There was this jolt of what I call the shock of this recognition. Like I was seeing familiar things, but presented in a way that I had never seen them. It was something both exciting And familiar at the same time, like something eerie but familiar at the same time. And that sent me to go find Neuromancer, you know, the novel. And again, I read Neuromancer and it was just like, what is this? Like, it was mind-reeling. It was amazing. And then I flipped to the back to see the photo of William Gibson, young William Gibson. Like, this is the guy who wrote Neuromancer and Johnny Mnemonic. Like, (laughs) I mean, he is the definition of a geek at the time. He has the glasses, the shaggy hair, and all that. And I've come to a that, you know, like, I'm when you see something an artist and the person are two very different things and it's part of my belief that you're like a vessel like the thing that you your art whatever it is it's coming through you from the universe from something you are sort of filtering it through your personality the things that you like but it's not specific to um to a type you know maybe because of author photos we've come to build, build this image of the um author as like a Someone who looks like Douglas Fairbanks, maybe, and that's not accurate. <laughs> someone like say someone who writes action, like heroic fiction, let's say action, men on a mission type of fiction. And in the back, there'd be a photo of him like in a studio surrounded by like stuffed animals, books, all these things. And now we know that most of that is not really true. It's just someone's idea of what you should look like if you write that particular fiction.
1: Yeah, it's it's also that you can't see someone's so. So, like, if you see a picture of someone, what you what you put on it is your, yes, uh, yeah. you know, your belief. Okay, so this is a nerd. So this is, you know, uh, this and that guy or girl, whatever. And uh, what you can see is all the stuff going on inside. Certainly, in, in artists, yeah. um, and uh, and it, you also add to that the fact that when we create. Sometimes it feels like it's not coming through us. It feels like it's coming from above, or from somewhere else, or from the universe. But uh, as far as I've seen, you know, it's an amazing feeling personally. As far as I've seen, I have found that you know, it just there's something inside me that's able to coalesce stuff that comes only for me in a better way than you know I could, you know, than you could consciously do the stuff. I think I'm so. From, yeah. You know. Anyway, but-
0: sorry. You go, go ahead the, this, the I stuff that you're sorry
1: oh no problem uh so i want to get to the stage where you said this influenced the way you create and that's where i stopped you
0: oh okay okay so let's see what we can pick up where, where was it um
1: uh my i forgot the question <laughs> you began you began to create I'm, I'm asked like uh chronologically so what happened then like your influence oh, okay by those things so
0: yeah, so um, like I said, like discovered I would try different writers. Like I read more voraciously as a teenager, as a young adult, like in, in my early 20s and such. I would yeah. read more voraciously. Then I guess as I started getting more clarity about myself, about the things that I'm the things that ideas that I obsessed, I became a little more selective. And that's where Philip K. Dick came in, William Gibson. Um, and also to include other media, because I had this belief that as a you know, a writer of you know, print, short fiction novels you should only consume that and that's something that actually kind of got in the way of the creativity when I started mm-hmm. for example studying people who do uh cartoonists you know people who write and draw comics I would come across a comic book that was really cool like say Kalina, for example like I love that because it was nonstop action like the mo- the comic book starts and it's like stuff is happening but it's so bizarre and wonderful like it and I and but I would resist incorporating ideas from the comic book into a short story written because of that belief that I had. And you know, as an adult, I understand that that you're actually closing off your the creative forces that come. You know, as you mentioned earlier, the, the creative forces that come from the universe through you, you. When you resist a particular thing, a particular media like music, the comics, or even animation, you're resisting. You're closing off part of that flow that gives you. The gift of creating, of putting ideas around a narrative, whether it be a comic book, a film, a short story, a novel. So it took a little bit of time to get past that. It took some, some time to get to accept that it's okay to be influenced by other things into this sort of thing that you're doing, even if it's not the same. And that actually made things easier and made creating easier. When I opened up to let music influence me, music, song lyrics, for example, uh, letting comics influence me as well. And then incorporating that uh, as well, because um, one thing about the, the writing process, when I started getting more ambitious, of okay, I want to write a novel. And I tried a couple of times, and I never really felt satisfied with that format. I felt like I was probably saying too much and boring people. And I never, to be honest, I actually only had a couple of people try my novels. I never really felt, um, I didn't have the courage to, have, to show it to more people more often, to beta readers, yeah. I guess. But I felt something compelling me through through comic books. Like, okay, I can't draw, but there is something here that I can do. Like, I may not be able to draw, but I can sort of lay things out really good. Like, I can do, you know, I can take a piece of paper. I can lay out action in a way that makes sense. So, okay, let me try this further. Let me take these ideas that I was doing in short fiction and bring it into this other medium. So, but I probably would not. I've done that if I hadn't first accepted the idea that it's okay and that in fact some artists working a variety of media like Harlan Ellison for example he wrote show fiction but he also had his um uh stories adapted into comic books he um had his stuff adapted into audio dramas as well, well this doctor- and so. there's the famously uh, the famous or infamous boy on his dog for example which is a movie that is it's fantastic, but like it, it's he hated it, I think, on some level he hated it, but another one he loved it. It's an interesting
1: situation. <laughs> I didn't see that, but he has a he is one of the best uh, one of let's call it one of the top 10 uh, Star Trek episodes. The original, Star Trek. yes, it's, yes,
0: that's true. One of the best Star Trek episodes,
1: fantastic. Yeah.
0: And so when I saw that, I said, Well, it's okay to do that. You can, in fact, it's actually required, I think, because. When you, let's say, if you're someone who writes mostly print, when you, let's say, you want to try to do something in audio, now that engages a different set of creative muscles because now your story, you're, you're writing words still on paper, but now sound is what I call the, um, the accent, accentuator. Like, you dialogue, you write dialogue, but now you need to work with an actor who has a voice that can get your ideas to carry through. And you have to choose sounds that um, evoke emotions in, in on the mind of the listener. So there's a challenge there that is both exciting and it's kind of scary. But if you pull it off, it's incredibly satisfying. And then, you know, comics, for example, again, now you're, you're working primarily with visuals. But this format gives you the opportunity to um, have a greater density of, of, um, a greater density of, of statement because you can combine sound you can come i'm sorry you can combine images and you can combine words to say something that probably in film you couldn't do in mm-hmm. film maybe because film moves too fast you don't want to clutter the viewer's mind or on uh, ear with too much too many things because you confuse them but in comics you can do that and they can slow down and take in the page and get more information that way and you can also um throw curves you can say for example you can suddenly change the format of what you're doing from a state uh, from a comic book of two characters talking you can suddenly simply just cut to um uh like a visual representation of a a dialogue you can do a number of things that are it's virtually unlimited it's still even though comics have been around for a long time it's untapped there's still so much more that can be done in that format so it's very exciting when you engage in each one of these different formats and just try different things just put yourself in that place of okay what is the the catalyst. What is the thing that will make this medium better than the other medium, or, or make this medium more effective? And I think, it's I sort think, of expensive. Yeah, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, no, I mean that was, I think that was it. I was just going to say that. Um, that was. It, it puts you in a different place. That is both challenging, but it's also exciting. And because let's say if you're someone who works by yourself, you know, writing, you know, you're in a room by yourself. Now you're working with other people. That also is a, it's a challenge, too, where you're working with actors. Let's say if you want to produce it yourself, you're working with actors, and that mm-hmm. brings a different dimension because actors, they have their temper, they have their eccentricities, and you have to work around that. Not so much for yourself, but for the benefit of doing telling the best story that you can tell. In film, the same thing. There's a technical aspect involved because you, um, you need to work with a camera. You need to find someone who can work the camera well. And you have to explain your ideas to that person because they will contribute. The cinematographer will have ideas of their own. The person recording audio and doing audio design, they'll have ideas of their own that they want to incorporate. So it's, uh, it's exciting. It's a, it's a collaborative aspect that will either test you or will either make you better. You may find that you just don't like that format. So you'll go back to doing the thing that you love or you'll find this is really exciting. I don't know what I'm doing, but I like it. Let me see, let's see what we can do if we work together.
1: Yeah, and how does that lead into like let's get into the present, to your own creation, the stuff. What is it that you write, and how is that influenced by what we've talked about? Uh, okay. So,
0: um, so yeah, as um, I finished a comic book recently, but what's interesting about it is for me personally is um, it was just a bunch of artwork that I had done maybe the year previous, and I felt that it wasn't connected. I felt that it didn't like it needed more artwork. Uh, so I just kind of let it sit there for almost an entire year. I didn't do anything with it. Then lockdown happens in the you know the early part of 2020, and I start going. I'm doing a little house cleaning and all that house cleaning and such. And I pick up the art again, and I start looking at it like just kind of glancing here and there. And I start like playing this little experiment where like I'll take one panel here, like at one page, I'll put it on the side here, like on this side. Then I would take another page and I put it here. And then I take like a post-it, for example, and I would stick that on the next to a character and I would write in the post-it something like a piece of dialogue. And then I would look again and like, well, what if this person replied this? And I would take another post-it and I would try again. And little by little, I start doing that. And I realized, wait, I actually have a story here. There's a whole narrative in here. I mean, I don't see it all, but I'm convinced it's there. So I start doing that. And I realized, okay, I can reuse certain panels. I can use certain panels over and over, but by using different dialogue, that changes the emotion. So I was, in, I was using a little bit of the technique techniques that were pioneered by um, the Russian filmmaker. I cannot remember his name now. I think he is best known for Battleship Potemkin, a Russian director, where he had okay. this idea that if when he would, for example, he would have two images of something the middle image was a person react was a person like a person wasn't it was just a person staring it wasn't doing the person wasn't doing anything
1: Sergei
0: Eisenstein. If, if you, yes sergey eisenstein yes that's thank you so he pioneered the, these ideas and editing of like by um you have this uh, image of a person in between two other images but if depending on what you put on the In between those two images, what is in there, those two images, Mm -hmm. you elicit a reaction in the viewer, even if the person, the image of the person, you know, the actor is not doing anything. So depending on the images, it could be hunger, it could be pain, it could be um, happiness, but it's not because of the actor itself, not the image of the actor causing the reaction, rather the two images in between that image of the actor. Mm -hmm. So I started studying that. I started studying how um, the eye takes images, how editing is effective because the eye, I guess, retains an image for a fraction of a second before it takes in the new image. And I started exploring that. I started actually photocopying the artwork so I could cut it and paste it and start doing the thing with the post-it. It was a really fun cut and paste exercise, cut and paste exercise, almost like um, a comic book version of the cut-ups, what William S. Burroughs used to, was uh, known for doing taking text and recutting it and creating text combinations of text that were bizarre but that triggered creativity they triggered ideas in him so he could start writing new works from that so i start doing something like that and gradually i realized i have an entire book here and i started doing that and simultaneously with that i started looking for how can i do this in a book format you know put it in a, in a presentation and mm-hmm. i discovered canva which is fantastic. It's a great little um uh, thing. I'm not affiliated with them, but uh, it's really cool. It's an amazing what is it? little service. What is Canva? Uh, Canva.
1: Oh, Canva, Canva yes, yeah. yes.
0: Okay. Canva, yeah. And I'm not affiliated with Canva. They're not paying me to do that, but it's just an amazing service. It's a, such a thing that puts so much, um, it gives you so much uh access to things Like uh, right there with a free account. I took that, I started watching videos on YouTube and uh, the artwork was already digitized, so I started taking the, um, the PNG copies that I make, I start cutting and pasting, using dialogue bubbles and editing. And I'm getting really excited looking at that. I'm looking at this, I'm like, wow, this had been here the whole time, but I couldn't see it. Like I, for whatever reason, when I did it first, I was being guided by something, like some instinct, some, something deep in my brain was telling me do this. And then when I was done, I was like, well, I don't really have a story here, but a year, a little more than a year later, I can look at this and I start playing with it. I'm like, no, I do have a narrative here. I have an entire narrative here. And um, I guess I'm very fascinated with that, how there's a part of your brain that sees things from a distance, I guess I could say. Like it sees something before your the more conscious part of your brain sees it. Does that- It does, it does.
1: I want to get it, Uh, it does. I see that you're working a lot on technique and influence and, and stuff like that but i want to move on to what is the comic what what is the thing about
0: oh okay so the thing is about a. it's like the synopsis i guess you mean <laughs> yeah like what's the subject okay so the synopsis it has to do with a with an um and was it for someone who oh it's called the plot sorry about that yeah it's called the plot <laughs> so it's a science fiction um i guess I, I call it a paranoid thriller because there's a lot of paranoia involved and hmm. I don't consider myself a paranoid person, but I find the subject fascinating. So it has to do with this person who was involved in an incident in a public park. And these people start, you know, these people who look like law, look like uh, law enforcement people, start questioning him about what happened there. And this interrogation that goes on is exhaustive. And it seems like nothing has been learned about it. But it turns out. Um, I I don't want to say too much. I don't want to spoil it for the benefit of those who would like to check it out for themselves. Yeah. But it turns out that, that from that conversation, something happens. I, I, I'm sorry, but I can't really spoil any more than that. Let's just say what seems like an incident, like, a, like it seems like an accident, like a casual, random incident has repercussions, really big repercussions, has much larger repercussions that affect the elections of the country because it happens to be an election year i don't want to say any more than that i'm sorry that spoils it for people but that's but i cannot say too much i urge you to just find the link if you will please include the link in your podcast and they can go see for themselves and they can let me know on twitter what they think of it
1: (laughs) that's good and uh, where can people find you by the way
0: like Okay, so I am very active on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is uh, RoboPulp. Let me know if that doesn't come through clearly.
1: R-O-B-O-P-U-L-P.
0: R-O-B-O-P-U-L-P, RoboPulp, which is um, science fiction and pulp fiction, the classic pulp fiction like Black Mask, uh, Argosy. Those Mm. are the twin poles on which my influences are built, science fiction and crime thrillers. Those two things are sort of where... The, the building blocks of everything that I do. Let's let's call it that, the building blocks on
1: which everything I do comes from. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that was you. I do remember RoboPulp on Twitter. Uh, Instagram? Website? Okay, so I have on
0: Instagram, it's called Robo.Pulp. It's the same thing, but just a dot in between Robo okay. and Pulp. And I'm not really doing anything there yet, but um, go ahead and me up because in the summer when it gets warm and I can start recording outside <laughs> and it's not, we're like in, we're in New England and it's winter here, so it's like 25 today. Mm -hmm. But once it's nice, I'll be outside doing stuff with other people with video. I'm going to try web series, which is something that I've seen. And uh, and again, I'm fascinated by people doing really clever, funny things with just phones, just using cell phones, going out and recording and just using some apps and doing really interesting things. So I want to explore that as well. Explore that other aspect of social media and storytelling.
1: Cool. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover?
0: um honestly no I don't think so no you were very um patient with me because I guess I wasn't going in a straight line either I'm all over the place so I appreciate that thank you so it much it was
1: fun it was fun you're very you're energetic and you're charismatic so that's great thank you so much yeah well
0: you are very patient and you are a, a, a great um host that you sort of specialize in this when you sort of explore this way of thinking that um that I find is crucial you know like when when you sort of start resisting the inner impulses of your mind and just go and let them take you where they will. Mm. You find amazing things about yourself and about the world around you, and I indulge, urge people to do that. You know, Just don't, don't resist um, where these impulses take you.
1: Sure, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Thank you so much to Mel. In the show notes, you'll find all of Mel's links now. Next time, because there's always a next time, there's always another geek. Next time we are still on comic books, but this time it's a whole nother story. I've been waiting to say, by the way, whole nother for like 30 years, maybe. Never got the chance. First, I'm not American. Uh, good reason. Uh, but I've been waiting for a chance to say that. It's a whole nother story. There, I said it. Things Guy doesn't get to say. That's under that category. Like mergers and acquisitions. I also don't get to say that for any reason. Anyway, what do you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson at geekdominpals.com. That's G-U-I at geekdominpals.com. Also, email me with ideas for people that I don't know that would make great guests. So please do that because there's more people that I don't know than people that I do know. The website is geekdominpals.com on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're at Geekdominpals on YouTube. Search for Geekdominpals. If you want to check my other podcast, The Squash Buckler Diaries, it is an experiment in storytelling, and epic fantasy, in a way that you've never seen before in whatever you imagine. It's not that. So uh, if you want, check that out, The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day.